Amen. Amen. Living Stones, you may be seated. It's so good to have you here. Worship team, thank you guys so much for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, it is great to be with you guys today. I'm super excited to be able to share uh, what God has placed on my heart for this morning. Uh, let me uh, extend a very special welcome to anybody who's joining us for the first time today. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you here, and if there's any way that we can serve you, any way that we can love you today, all I want you to do is ask, and it would be our pleasure to do so. Um, but if you are here for the first time, I would love for you if you would text the word hello to 574-633-1574, and, and what that does, you're going to just be able to get a little bit more information about who we are as a church, but also that we can learn a little bit more about you and how we might be able to love and serve you. And, and just for visiting us today and for, for texting us, um, we're going to make a donation to a local charity on your behalf. Just follow the prompts and let us know who you would like us to donate to. Um, and it just would be our pleasure to, to serve you in any way. I'd love to be able to connect with you after service today as well. So make sure you come up to me and say hi when our service is done here this morning. I have two quick announcements I want to share before we get into our message today. The first one is um, I, I hope that you guys were praying for our element middle school students as they went on their retreat this past week, and they had an amazing, uh, amazing time, just a great time of, of worship, hearing from God, just listening, learning, um, fun games, competitions, staying up way too late. I mean, they, they had a, a great time, and I'm extremely appreciative of Meredith and the entire team for just what they are doing and just pouring into our next generation. Um, just so thankful for all of them. And uh, just uh, make sure you give uh, give Meredith uh, just a great big hug today. Let her know you appreciate her because uh, she was telling me this morning, she's like, man, I'm getting old. Like, I, I, I don't bounce back quite like I used to. So you know, give her a hug, buy her coffee, something like that. And just let her know you appreciate all she does to invest in our, uh, in our students here at Living Stones. Uh, and then I also just wanted to share something coming up that in a, in a few weeks we're going to start a series about knowing and understanding the true nature and character of, of God. Um, James Bryan Smith, he wrote a book uh, called The Good and Beautiful God. It's one of my favorite books, and it really has been foundational for me just in, in my own faith walk with, with God, uh, has been tremendously impactful. And, and in the book, uh, Dr. Smith uses scripture really to introduce us to the God that Jesus knows, the, the intimate Father that he knows. And, and so in our series that will begin in a few weeks, um, we're going to just examine some of those themes from the good and beautiful God. And as part of this series, we wanted to kind of offer a shortened circle community semester that kind of coincides with, uh, with this series, with, with the book. And so we're going to have two different types of groups. One of them will be just like a sermon discussion group, just kind of talking about um, maybe going a little bit deeper with what we discussed on the Sunday morning. And then the other one is actually going to go a little bit deeper and actually go through Dr. Smith's book itself. And so um, I'll, I'll give you more details about this next week, but just wanted to give you a heads up and just encourage everybody uh, here at Livingstones to be part of, of one of those groups. I thought, you know, this would be just a great series for us to all be growing together in. And, and so if you, if you are able, um, I'd love for you to participate in one of these uh, shorter end-of-the-summer end uh, group sessions that we are, are going to have. So um, with that, we are going to take up our morning tithes and, and offerings today. And, and as we give today, I, I just wanted to remind everybody that our giving really is an act of worship. 
It's, it's an act of worship and a declaration and an acknowledgement that everything we have, everything that, that, that we've been given already belongs to God. We, we give back just a small portion of what he has already blessed us with. And there's several different ways you can give, whether it's here in person, there's a, a given envelope in your bulletin, um, also in the seat backs in front of you that you can put in the boxes on your way out. You can give online. That's what my family does. We uh, have set up recurring giving online. You can give through our app. But again, just want to uh, continue, continue to thank you for your continued generosity and your faithfulness in giving. So with that, let's pray, and then we will get into our message this morning. So, Father, we just love you and thank you, God, again for what you are doing, for you being at work right here in our church, right here in South Bend. And Lord, it, it is a, a joy for us to partner with you. We're not asking you to bless what we're doing, Lord. We want to partner with you and God and what you are already up to. And, and so, Lord, I just pray that as we, uh, as we give generously, generously, as we give faithfully this morning, Lord, that you're going to continue to uh, bless Livingstone's church. You're going to continue to, to lead and guide us as we seek to love you and share your kingdom with those around us, Lord. We just pray for, God, just your, uh, your blessing upon the remainder of the service, Lord. Speak to our hearts here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday we began a series that we're calling Books We Don't Read. Books we don't read, and, and and I shared with you last week that if we're if we're being honest, there typically are some books of the Bible that when we're reading, we'll we'll often go to whether it be the the Gospels, the Psalms, Proverbs, some of Paul's epistles, some of the historical books. Um, depending on what mood you're in, maybe you'll go to Song of Solomon. Um, see, I was hoping like that was gonna, I. I <laughs> All right, go go out and read Song of Solomon. All right, that that is your homework assignment today. You you will you will thank me later um, for for that. But <laughs> there there are a fair number of books though that we often will gloss over that that sometimes we don't actually pay attention to or or avoid altogether. And and one of these groups of books actually takes place at the end of our Old Testament, at the end of the Hebrew Scriptures. There's a, there's a series of of twelve books that are called the Minor Prophets, the, the Minor Prophets. And, and so what we're going to do is in this series, we're kind of taking a look at three of the, the Minor Prophets. And, and these books, the Minor Prophet books, are typically pretty short. And, and I think one of the reasons that we often will gloss over, we often don't spend much time in the Minor Prophets, is because maybe we don't see them as being particularly relevant to us today. You know, like, you know... Israel might have been in rebellion, they were disobeying God, and he would raise up a prophet to come speak to, to the nation, to call them back to him once again. And, and, and I know for me often, you know, I think, all right, well, what do prophets that were speaking to ancient Israel have to say to me here in 21st century America? And, and actually, I think they can be extremely relevant because there are a number of similarities between the, the, the nation of Israel that the prophets were speaking to and us Today, sin and idolatry transcend time and place. And, and, and as these prophets, as they're sharing, they're actually sharing the heart of God towards his people. And so I think they are relevant. There's things we definitely can learn through them. And so last week we talked about the book of Hosea and the incredible lengths that God will go to in order to pursue us, to pursue his, his people. And this morning, we're actually going to take a look at the last book in the Old Testament, and which was really God's final word to his people until Jesus arrived on the scene. 
Now, now to get us started, I, I became aware of an app a short while ago that if I'm honest with you, I have kind of conflicting mixed feelings on. I don't know if any of you have heard of, of the app called Blinkist. Has anybody heard or used Blinkist at all? Okay, I, I actually just found out about this not too long ago. Um, and, and essentially, it's the modern-day equivalent of Cliff's Notes. Like, do, does anybody remember, like, back in the day? Like, I'm not the only one that, instead of reading the book and literature, I read the Cliff's Notes version of it. I, that, that's essentially what Blinkist is, if you can put that back up on, on the screen. Blinkist, really, it, it kind of, it, it takes an awful lot of mostly nonfiction books. There, a lot of them are leadership books or business books. And they take the entire book and they condense it into a 15-minute audio summary. A 15-minute audio summary. For those that just want the highlights of a book, they don't either don't have the time or don't want to take the time to read the entire thing, you can go onto Blinkist and you can get kind of the, the main ideas, the main points from some of these books. And, and I told you I'm kind of torn about the app because on the one hand, like we've all read books that are like 90% fluff that really could be condensed into about 15 minutes. But I also think there's value, though, in reading the entire context of what the author is trying to say as well. Well, th this morning, I, I say all that to say that, that the book of Malachi, I think we could, we could kind of argue, is kind of the 15-minute summary of the entire Old Testament. That, that a lot of the, the biblical themes, uh, a lot of the, um, as you read through Malachi, I, I guess let me, let me back up just a moment here. In the same way that you could listen to the Blinkist version of a book, like I, I'd encourage you to read the entire Old Testament, not just Malachi. Um, but, but Malachi really is kind of a condensed uh, version. It kind of sums up most of the, the Old Testament and really contains many of the, the biblical themes of the entire Old Testament in this one book. In fact, Malachi chapter 3, verse 7 kind of sums up the entire book, if not the entire Old Testament itself, where Malachi said, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. But return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Like, like he's saying, since the time of your ancestors, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, we've turned away from God. We've rebelled against him. But when we turn back to God, he comes back to us. So we talked about this this last Sunday, you know, like he always welcomes us back. He's always calling us back into relationship with him. Now, now Malachi's book, as I mentioned before, was really the last the last thing that God spoke to his people for 400 years. And so, so after, after Malachi had, had prophesied, after Malachi was on the scene, there, there entered a, a time in Israel's history that historians, that theologians call the silent years, which is 400 years of time where God didn't speak anything to his people. And that was highly unusual. God, God often had prophets, people that, that heard from God and, and would speak. And then there was a, a, this long 400-year time where nothing is said until the time that Jesus shows up. And so Malachi's prophetic words really kind of, they, they kind of contrast Israel's unfaithfulness to God's faithfulness and to God's faithfulness and ultimately his solution for what he wanted to do to help 
the people. Now, to give you a little bit of context of when Malachi is, is speaking, when he comes on the scene, it's about 170 years after the, the Israelites had been taken into their exile, into captivity in Babylon. If you remember a couple months ago when we were talking about the book of Nehemiah, that they had been in Babylon, they had been in captivity for 70 years, and when Nehemiah wrote his book, they, they had just been heading back to Israel after 70 years in captivity. Well, Malachi is actually speaking about 100 years after that, that the people, they had, they had you know, rebelled against God, he sent them into Babylon, they were in, in captivity, in exile, and they had come back to Israel, they had rebuilt the temple, all, all of this, and what, and what happened is when they came back from exile, they made a bunch, there was kind of like a national revival that took place. They made some changes. There were some reforms that, that began. They rebuilt the temple. They began worshiping God again. And, and during this time, the, the nation of Israel actually becomes hyper-religious. Hyper-religious. And I, and I want you to, because kind of, this is going to be the kind of the theme of Malachi's book. This was a period of time when the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually begin forming, the, the groups that were so focused on, on the external behaviors of people and the ones that ended up giving Jesus all kinds of trouble when he arrived on the scene. It, it was during this time when these groups were forming that Malachi comes on the scene. And, and God, through Malachi, he actually makes in, the, in his book a series of charges against Israel saying, all right, there, there are some things that are not right. You know, like you're doing a lot of the religious things. You're doing a lot of the good things that, that you look good on the outside. But your heart is cold and your heart is far from God. Now, now just as a warning before we get into Malachi, like he's probably going to step on some of our toes here this morning. I know as I was reading, as I was studying for, for this message, he did that for me, kind of getting all up all up in our business, so to speak. Uh, but, but I think there is a, a lot that we can learn from Malachi as well. And so, th so the first charge that God really gives to the, the, the nation of Israel, he, he says that they were very religious, but that they were self-seeking. They were religious, but they were self-seeking. On, on the outside, you look good, you're doing the right things, but your heart is not right. You're doing the right things, but your heart is not right. You're missing the whole point of, of all these religious duties. You're, you're worshiping God. You're, you're offering sacrifices. You're, you're, you're giving offerings. All of these great things that I've asked you to do, but you're missing the point about why I asked you to do them. And in chapter 1, Malachi, he, he's talking about the offerings that the Israelites are bringing to God it, because as part of their worship, they would, they would bring these sacrifices. They would bring these offerings to the temple. And Malachi ends up talking about this in, in chapter 1, starting in verse 13. And he says, And you, you say in your heart about these offerings, What a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals, and you offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hand, says the Lord? And verse 14 he says, I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Like they were doing the religious things. They were showing up. They were, they, were, they were worshiping. But they were complaining every step of the way. And not only were they complaining, they said, oh, like what, what a burden this is, you know. But not only that, they weren't even bringing God 
their best. When, when, when God was saying, hey, I want you to bring offerings, I want you to bring sacrifices to me, he was saying, I want you to bring me the best of the best. And they were doing anything but that. They were, they were bringing the lame, the injured, the diseased animals to offer as sacrifices. Instead of giving God their best, they were actually giving him their worst. He, he's saying, like, you're going through all the steps of worship, but the way you're going about it reveals where your heart truly is. They were worshiping half-heartedly, give, kind of giving God their, their leftovers, the things that didn't really cost them anything to begin with. And, and think of it kind of like this. Like if I, if I had a, a pack of gum here, and you asked me, you said, oh, hey, can, can I have a piece? And I quick pop it in my mouth, chew on it, suck all the sugar and all the flavor and everything out of it, and offer that to you, not only are you going to think it's pretty gross, but you're probably going to be offended by it too because I have an entire pack of perfectly good gum, and I'm offering you my leftovers. I'm giving you, I'm giving you my worst. Like I, I remember back when, when I was doing youth ministry for, for a period of time, we had somebody in the church, they just bought themselves a brand new 65-inch flat screen TV. And they came and they decided they wanted to donate their 27-inch tube TV that weighed like 500 pounds and had the built-in VCR in it. And, and you know, like I appreciated it, but what they, were, what they were offering, what they were giving, meant nothing to them. It had no value to them whatsoever. What they were giving was not actually a sacrifice at all. In, in some ways, that's kind of what God is, is speaking to right here. Are, are we giving God our best, or are we just giving Him our leftovers? And, and think beyond just money. Think beyond stuff, too. Think, think about our time. Like, do, do I come to church only when it's convenient for me, when I have nothing else going on, no, no other things that are more important going on in my life, or, or even my daily time with the Lord? Am I, am I just trying to squeeze Him in somewhere, or am I really making connecting with God a priority in my life? The, the question I keep asking myself through this is, am I giving God my first and my best? The last song we sang, King Jesus, take the highest place in my life. Am, am I really giving him the highest place in my life, or am I just offering him whatever I have left over? In some ways, it, it reminds me of, of a passage in 2 Samuel 24 where King David, he's reaching, kind of he's getting near the end of his life, and he wants to give an offering to God, and he wants to build an altar and all this, and so he finds the, the perfect property to do this, and he, he goes to the owner and says, hey, I want to buy this property so I can build an offer and, and make it, or build an altar and make, it, make an offering, make a sacrifice to God, and, and the property owner says, oh, you don't have to pay me for it. Like, here, you, you can have it. And David, in, in 2 Samuel 24, he ends up saying, no, no, I'm, I'm going to pay you full market value for this. Because I don't, I don't want to offer God a sacrifice that cost me nothing. Like, I, 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 when I'm, God, when I'm worshiping you, it should cost me something. It should cost me something. The Malachi, he said, he said you're religious, but you're very self-seeking. The, the second charge that Malachi makes against the Israelites, he says that you're religious, but you're self-centered. You're very religious, but you're also very self-centered. Rather than being God-centered, the people were being completely self-centered. And, and, he, and he de they demonstrated this, and God actually addresses this 
through their, their marriages, by addressing the way that their, their relationships are with one another. In, in Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 13, it says, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings and accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made for you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates his wife and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful. Now, for, for a huge portion of, of human history, like there, there, we had this geocentric idea that, that the universe revolved around the earth. Like that, that, was, that was the prevailing idea, the prevailing thought for most of human history. And, and Copernicus in 1543 actually kind of flipped this upside down and insisted, no, 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 we're not the center of the earth. Not everything doesn't revolve around us, but we're actually revolving around the sun. And, and, and too often we, we live, I'm going to make this personal, too often I live my life as if I'm the center of the universe. As if, as if everything in the world revolves around me. And this problem that Malachi is addressing, he addresses it in their marriages. Now, because a few verses before, Malachi actually, he, he, he's talking about how the Israelite men, they had taken a fancy to some of the foreign women. They'd found them attractive and started worshiping the gods of some of the, the foreign women. And, and many of them were divorcing their wives in order to pursue these foreign wives, and, and we're worshiping the gods of, of, these, of these foreigners. And, and God reminds us, he reminds me often, marriage is not about me. Marriage isn't about me. It's, it, it's about loving and serving my spouse. I, honoring God much more than meeting my needs is the ultimate importance in, in my marriage. And, and several times in Scripture, God actually says that marriage is a picture, it's a snapshot of what as an example of what God's love for us actually looks like. Like, I, I, can, I can love Angela. I can love my wife even when she's difficult. It's hard to believe, but there are times my wife is difficult. But I can love her even those times when she's difficult because that's what God has done for me. I mean, how often I am, I'm, I'm quite certain I am, diff don't, don't say anything about this. I'm quite certain I am difficult to live with and I'm difficult to love at times for not just my wife, but for God as well. And Malachi is saying, when, when you're divorcing, when God's people are divorcing for petty reasons, because we're no longer getting along, because you're not making me happy anymore, you're not meeting my needs, it, it actually paints a bad picture of what God's love is actually like. That's, that's not the way that God treats us. He doesn't love us just when we perform the right way, when we do the right things. He loves us even when it hurts, even when we are hard to love because love is not self-centered. Love isn't self-centered. And along with that, there really is a connection between the way that we love people and the way that we love God, the way that we treat our wives, the way we treat our husbands, the way we treat other people in our lives can oftentimes reveal where our hearts are towards God. 
The Apostle John, in, in 1 John 4.20, he says, Whoever claims to love God, yet he hates his brother and sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they've not seen. There's a connection between the way that we love other people and the way that we love and the way that we interact with God. He cares about our vertical relationships because they speak to our horizontal relationship with him. Malachi's next charge against the people is that they were religious, but they were unbelieving. They were religious, but they were unbelieving. In Malachi chapter 2.17, he says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. And how have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? And a few verses later in Malachi 3.13, he says, You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, What have we said against you? You have said, It is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? Like the people, they're, they're complaining against God. God, you don't seem fair. You don't, see, you don't seem fair. Evil people are prospering, and you're not doing anything about it. And then they start asking the question, all right, and what's in this for us, God? Like, we're, we're doing all these things for you. Where are the benefits? What, like, what, 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 what is in it for, for me? What's in it for us? Like, what do we get out of serving you and worshiping you? And God, God's response to them is, what more can I possibly do to demonstrate my love for you? What, what more can I possibly do? Like, I delivered you from, from Egypt in the Exodus. I gave you victory after victory as, as you went into the land of Canaan. Like, I brought you back home from Babylon, like, time and time again. Like, what else do I need to do to prove my love for you? And I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's okay for us to ask questions. It, it's, it's okay for us to wrestle and to have doubts. I, I have questions. God is big enough to handle my doubts, but at some point I need to land on whether or not I'm really going to trust him or not. A Angela and I, we, we were reading Psalm 22 this week. And Psalm 22, it, it's actually a, a beautiful contrast. As you see David wrestling with this exact, this exact idea, where he's saying, God, I, I feel like you've left me. God, I feel like you've forsaken me. I feel all alone. I feel like you're not answering me at all. Yet, I put my trust in you. Yet, I know that you made me and you are the one that sustains me. You are my strength. You are the one that's going to deliver me. David has this back and forth throughout Psalm 22 where he says, I feel this way, but God, I know this about you. I know this about who you are. This is what I'm feeling, but this is what I know. And, and so what, what I'm not saying here, and, and Malachi is not saying, he's not saying, all right, just trust God, shut your mouth and get over it. That, that's, that's not what he's saying at all. Like, I, I want you to know, this is a safe place to wrestle with the questions of your heart. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have doubts. But Malachi is saying, what God is saying is, I don't want you to continue to operate in unbelief. We, we can have questions. We can struggle. We can wrestle. But when we persist in wondering, all right, does God even really care? Does he even really love me? It ends up being an insult 
to God. He, he's saying, trust me, I love you with an everlasting love. I want you to trust me. And then the, the final kind of charge that Malachi gives to the, the people of Israel is that they were religious, but they were untrusting. They were religious, but untrusting. In Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8, he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not room enough to store it. Like the, the way that we handle money is a reflection of our relationship and how much a relationship with God and how much we trust Him. Now, now I want you, I want you to hear this. Like this is not your pastor sitting here trying to get you to give money so I can enrich myself. That's not the case whatsoever. God's not asking us to, to tithe. He's not asking us to give because he's in need. I mean, not even close. Like God owns everything. Everything belongs to him. He has all the storehouses of heaven. But rather, God desires us to be generous. He desires us to give as a way of declaring our trust in him. As a way of saying, God, I trust you with everything. God, God takes this so seriously. And, and our generosity is an indication of, of how surrendered we are and how much we really trust him. And, and I'm not telling you this because, you know, we're having trouble paying the light bill. That's, that's not the case at all. That, that's not it at all. We're not taking up some kind of special offering. I'm not trying to manipulate or twist anybody or guilt anybody into anything. But I am bringing it up because God talks about it. And it would, it would be irresponsible of, of me not to. Like, I, I want everybody in our church, I want everybody in this room to be able to experience the blessings of God. And, and everybody, we tithe to something. And, and what the tithe literally means is 10%. We give our first 10% to something. Maybe it's to our mortgage, or maybe it's for our toys, our things, the stuff that we have. Maybe it's to pay off debt or savings. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. The problem is when we do those things first. And the question, again, that I'm asking myself, am I giving God my first and my best? I'm looking in the mirror. I'm, I'm asking me this. Am I giving God my first and my best. And, and this is like the one area where God says, hey, try me, test me in this. See, see if I won't, when you trust me in this, see if I won't bless you. See if I won't help you do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. Try me. Test, test me in this. He said, I want you to trust me. And one of the most key ways we determine about whether we really trust God is, is with our finances. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but like as I read through Malachi, as I hear these charges that, that he's giving against the people of Israel, like, I mean, it, it kind of stings a little bit because he's asking some pretty tough questions. He's making some pretty stiff accusations. You're, you're religious, but you're self-seeking. You're religious, but you're self-centered. You're, you're religious, but, but you're unbelieving. You're religious, but you are untrusting. 
And it's easy for us here now to kind of look and say, oh, you know, those fickle Israelites, they just never seem to get it right. You know, they're, they're just, you know, God's always having to raise somebody up and, you know, just correct them and, and all of this. And, and I think about it, like they came back from the exile in Babylon. Like they, they had been in captivity for 70 years. They came home and they start making all these promises. Oh, things are going to be different now. They, things are going to change. We're, we're going to get this right. And it didn't take too long for things to go right back to where they were before the exile, to go right back to where things were before, where they were doing the right things, but their heart was not in it. They, they were missing the point of what God was asking them to do. And how many of us can say that same thing? How, how many times have we vowed, how many times have I vowed, oh, I'm never going to do that one thing ever again? I'm not going to drink that again. I'm not going to smoke that again. I'm not going to view those images again. I'm not going to speak to her that way again. How, like, how many times have we made those vows and those promises? And then we go back and we do it again. Like, it, what's, what's the problem there? Is, is it that we were insincere? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I know those times that I've said, all right, God, I'm never going to do that again. I, I was very sincere in my heart about that. Is it just that we need to try harder, to pray harder? No, that's not the case either. The, the trouble is that there, there's no promise, there's no resolution we can make that can eradicate our sin problem, that can eradicate our sin issue on our own. If you remember, I, I shared that scripture at the very beginning, Malachi 3.7, he said, ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many promises we make, we're not going to be able to follow through. When you, when you think of using the Israelites as an example, like God delivered them out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments right there in his hands. Like they just saw God do these amazing things. Moses goes back up on the mountain, and he's gone a little bit longer than the Israelites thought he was going to be. And they start saying, oh, God has abandoned us. And they make this golden calf and start worshiping. The, like, they, they had the law right in front of them, like literally just handed to them. And they go and make this golden calf and begin worshiping it. Like, this is the story of, of humankind. God wants us to live a certain way. We want to live a certain way. And we can never quite get it right. Like Malachi, he brings these pretty harsh charges against the people of Israel. But he doesn't just leave it there, though. And that's, that's the good news. He doesn't just give them a, a spiritual spanking, yell at them to, to fix it, get it straight, and go on with life. But he actually ends his book with a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus coming. He said, yeah, you know what? You've gotten all these things wrong, all these things that you've, that you've missed, that you screwed up, the way that your heart's not right. Yeah, there, there are things that are, that are off. But he said, but that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. I'm not here just condemning you for all the things you're not doing right. That there's another who's coming. There's another who's coming. In Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse 1, he says... 
But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. I, I have no idea what that even means. I, I, <laughs> I, I've never seen well-fed calves frolic, but I'm assuming they're, they're filled with joy. Um, and he says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Malachi, he ends by, by saying, there's someone coming. Not to give you new laws, not to give you more rules, not to give you more things to try to do. There's someone coming who's coming to give you new life. He's coming to give you new life. In his power and in his strength, we're able to live the life that God has for us. And, and, and for 400 years, Malachi closes his book with that final prophecy about Jesus coming. And 400 years later, Jesus arrives on the scene and flips everything upside down. He changes everything in a moment. Like Malachi, he, he definitely stepped on some toes, but he ends his message with hope. Then all these things that are not right. But God's coming. He's going to make it all right once again. He's going to redeem all things for his glory. Even though that we have been faithless, God in his faithfulness is sending his son to make all things right once again. He came to restore hearts, to re reconcile us with one another and reconcile us with God once again. So even though Malachi, it, it, I mean, he's kind of harsh in some ways. He said, all right, there's some things that are not right here. Like, I, I need to examine that in my life. Pat, what are some things that are not right here? But the, at the end of it, Pat, you're not going to change it in your own power. You're not going to change it making your own promises, vowing, I'm never going to do this again. Your life will be changed. It says the son of righteousness. He refers to him as a furnace. That's going to en enable me to truly live a transformed, changed life. Not in my power, but the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. That's, that's what's going to lead to a truly changed life. So if you would, would you stand? Let me, let me just pray for us this morning as we close out our, our message here today. That Lord, we, we just love you, God, so much. We, we love you and are so thankful, Lord, that you've come in, into our lives, Lord, that, that even, even when we've been so far from you, even when we've tried to do the quote-unquote religious things, Doing, doing these things out of a sense of duty. And the times that we've done it and our hearts have been far from you, Lord, we come to you this morning, God, with a heart of repentance. And saying, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those times I've just gone through the motions. I'm, I'm sorry for the times where I've done these things so that I look good to others. But God, you know where my heart truly is. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, so much. God, you didn't come just to just to correct us, just to give us more laws and rules and, and things that we can never even measure up to in the first place. But God, that, that Malachi ends with is he's pointing towards your son and that there's one who is coming who's going to make all things right, 
who's going to transform, who's going to change hearts. That even though in our own power and in our own strength, we can't fix all the areas, all the ways that we've fallen short. God, through you, you've given us victory. Through your son, you've given us power over death, hell, and the grave. You've given us power over sin. And God, I I pray that all of us here today, Father, that we would tap into that. Father, that your Holy Spirit would be so present in our lives, Lord. That we would be in tune with you. God, that we're not trying to overcome the the issues and the things that we've messed up by by willpower and and sheer just trying to trudge through it. God, that we would rely on you and ask you, God, to transform us from the inside out. God, we love you so very much. Pray you just bless my church here today. Bless my friends. God, as we seek after you, as we seek to become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship together one more time.